It's All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence. We're continuing our off-the-road interview series, remotely connecting with musicians around the world, sharing their experiences during the pandemic and other crises. You can hear hours of interviews we've done so far, including many exclusive musical performances, at hawaiipublicradio.org. Just look for the Off the Road banner on the front page. When it comes to the origins of hard rock and what would be called heavy metal, three British bands that emerged in the late 1960s are credited with defining the genres. All three, often referred to as a sort of unholy trinity, if you like, are now enshrined in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And those bands would be Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Deep Purple. And it was Deep Purple songs like Smoke on the Water and many others which would become classic rock anthems that earned them critical recognition and an enduring fan base around the world. Their latest album is called Woosh and was released during the pandemic. Guitar icon Steve Morse has been in Deep Purple since the early 1990s, longer than original guitarist Richie Blackmore and longer than any guitarist the band has had. An acclaimed artist on his own, Steve Morse's influential fusion band The Dixie Dregs led to a career as a solo artist and frequent collaborator, touring with his personal heroes like John McLaughlin, recording with classic rockers like Kansas, and continuing with side projects away from Deep Purple to this day. We caught up with Steve at his home studio as he took a break from one of those recording sessions. Aloha and mahalo, Steve. I'm grateful for your time. Thanks for doing this. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, first, where are you right now, Steve? And is this where you've been since the pandemic started? Yeah, I'm, I live in Central Florida. I'm at home. We have a hay farm and I do everything. What kind of farm is it? Hay farm. I cut hay and bale it and uh, sell it, store it, deliver it. It's not, you know, I don't make any money from it. So when you're not touring with the band, you're doing this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when I am touring, when I come back, it's like, there's so many things have grown, overgrown that I have to fix. It stuff grows fast here in Florida. And oh, there's okay. a short window to where it's dry enough to cut it. And how big is the farm? It's 56 acres. That's great. Well, I didn't know any of that about you, and that really does help understand. Because I've been reading a couple of recent interviews that you've done since the pandemic. Thinking about the album, share a little bit of the backstory of the writing of the material and your role in that. It usually takes a year or so. We do a couple of weeks of writing in a small city in Germany where nobody in the band lives. And we could sit and jam and try things. It's like a group isolation thing. Try to be in a place where there's no distractions. And I bring in ideas, and I plan for a very high rejection rate. (laughs) I just say, the band will let me know if they think something fits Deep Purple. And when somebody else brings in an idea and we start on it, then my job is to think of another section that would go with that. Piecing it together is is the hard part of writing. I just wanted to back up a second. You say you guys go to, is it the same city in Germany every time? Have you done this for all your records with them? It's been the last three times that we've gone there. But we've done, like one time we were in Spain and one time we were in Portugal. Before then we were rehearsing in London, but then it becomes a lot more distractions. and I get to meet lots of rock stars and... <laughs> Oh, there's Jimmy Page, or there's Robert Plant. But we get less done. And by going to this place in Germany, it keeps the focus on it. But the guys are very British. We start the day with tea, then there's a tea break, then there's another tea break, then there's a lunch break with tea. <laughs> then there's a later tea break, and then we wrap it up. <laughs> and then the Nashville part, I guess that's where you worked with uh, producer Bob Ezrin? Yes. This was in 2019. Yeah. He's done some huge records, both with Purple, Kiss, Alice Cooper. He, he did Pink Floyd's The Wall. He even did one of the Kansas records you played on. Does he ever share stories about some of those other huge acts or albums he's done? 
Yeah, he'll, he'll tell me stories about doing the wall. I remember I was saying, Matt, give me another shot on this solo. I, I don't like the last one. And he'd say, well, Dave Gilmore did the solo for Fly in one take through this little teeny amp on a boat on a river in England. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to compare you to David Gilmore to make you feel guilty that you should just do oh, it in one take. <laughs> always. <laughs> That's some funny stuff. Yeah, I was reading the way he talks to you and that he, he calls you by your last name, Morse. <laughs> I remember the yeah. one the one thing you said uh, in one of your interviews, Morse, save that for your solo album. I need something more melodic for this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I say, well, I really like you, Bob, you know. That must be the part of you that you didn't bring to the studio today, though. <laughs> we good do a lot of the ribbing. One of the tunes that really stuck out, The Power of the Moon on the new Whoosh album from Deep Purple. So moody and spooky. And uh, what a tasty riff from you, by the way. Oh. You made that this That's That's the real eerie sort of haunted keyboard and guitar line that we keep going. Same with Man Alive. That one has the spooky, slower tempo. They have those, those clusters of the notes. And I love that, that, that you're there with your guitar. Me. With the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and some of the lyrics on that, that's just so powerful when he's talking in that song about the uh, the earth being cleansed, some great spoken word. Fits in with the title of the album, you know, whoosh, you, before you know it, it's over. You get this one little tiny speck of time in the you know, infinite universe to make your market do something good, so take advantage of it. That's really the theme, huh? I think so. I, we don't have any overtly political leanings and thank god the band doesn't want to be a political entity because i think when people look to entertainment they don't want to be sort of told what to think or lectured or or, or whatever i think people just want music to be an escape i love for it to stay that way that's a great point but at the same time there is something to be said for role models when definitely, i when definitely I, I think everybody regardless of what their platform is needs to lead by example and exactly that's one of my big pet thieves is that everybody with a microphone access to any kind of print has a responsibility to realize that they're shaping our culture mm. and to think not once not twice but three times about what you say or do because like i said we're, we're literally shaping our future in a small way even when we contact somebody if you see a stranger drop something you pick it up to them and say here you are sir or here you are ma'am that doesn't take any effort at all but it, it might change the way that they look at strangers in the future. It's like, wow, that was awesome. The person didn't even know me, and they gave me the, the words of respect and help. Everything we do matters. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. Hmm. And the album, uh, the album is done. 2020 begins. Share with us the plans that you had in place to promote it. And also, if you can recall it, how exactly everything came unraveled. Well, yeah. 2020 was all booked. There was an album coming out, and our biggest tour ever. So we had one festival to do, a Monsters of Rock kind of thing to do in Mexico. We went and played it, but that pandemic was starting to it was starting to be a thing. I think it was February. Okay. I remember my wife saying, you know, by the way, if you see any uh, antibacterial stuff there, get some. I said, why, why? You can't get it from the store? I said, no, every place is out. 
And so I went to a, a grocery store in Mexico and got some baby wipes or something. That's all they had left. They were sold out. Right. And they didn't even have liquid soap. There was regular liquid soap, but they didn't have the antibacterial stuff. So I had some liquid soap, two rolls of toilet paper, and <laughs> some baby wipes that I came up. That was the best I could do. But at the gig, there was people from other bands coughing and sneezing in the cafeteria where everybody's eating backstage. And I thought, wow, now a lot of people are sick. And with this germ going around, it doesn't seem like a good idea to eat here. So I, I didn't eat that day and, and uh, came back, flew home. And then I had to go into 14 days of isolation because we have a, a handicapped daughter that's at greater risk. She can't breathe normally. And uh, 14 days living in my camper. Wow. On your property, 14 days because you have a daughter with a disability that, that requires that she would be vulnerable, you're saying, heaven forbid, yeah. that you were carrying. Yeah, uh, can you imagine being the one that uh, made your daughter ill? How old is your daughter? Husband? She's 28, but she's, uh, you know, she's different. And she would... I get you, brother. I get you yeah. totally, loud and clear. Yeah. It's Deep Purple guitarist Steve Morse talking story with us about his journey through the pandemic. He's the latest guest in our Off the Road interview series and will conclude tomorrow. Hear this and everything we've done so far at hawaiipublicradio.org. Just look for the Off the Road banner on the front page. I'm Dave Lawrence.